Good morning. It's good to see this good number here to worship this Lord's Day morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. We have visitors among us as we always do, and we're so thankful for your presence. This morning, I want to spend a few moments and study with you on a subject that is near and dear to all of our hearts, I think. The title of this lesson is, in form of a question, After Baptism, What Then? We believe and teach that baptism is the culminating act of obedience to God. It leads to the salvation of one's soul. The Bible affirms this in many places. You know, the essentiality of baptism is the saving of one's soul is not the focus of this lesson. But I think that as our study unfolds together this morning, you will see that much of what the Bible says about baptism, its purpose, and the present and eternal blessings that we as baptized believers have. I'm afraid many times, and we've talked about this before in other settings, that we work so hard to get someone to the point of baptism. We oftentimes fail to teach them and remind them of what it, what it is, what it does for them, and what it means in one's life. We all, I think, can do a better job in that regard. As we know, baptism is only the beginning of one's walk with Christ. A friend of mine recently posted this outline on social media, and I saw it. And as many times as those of us who attempt to preach from time to time think, well, there's a good sermon in that. So I made note of that, and I remembered and kept a copy of this, and this is what I'm going to share with us this morning. It's a, it's a good lesson for newer Christians, but I think by association for those of us who've been maybe Christians 10, 20, 30, 40 years or more, can gain some insight and, and be, bring to remembrance some things that we may have studied and been taught in the past and make application in our lives today. You know, we've been blessed even this year. This year has just gotten started with, with a couple of our, our young men who um, put on Christ in baptism. We had several last year, and we pray that as we go forward, as long as the Lord delays his coming, there'll be more. And we, uh, we want to share these things for all of our benefit. You know, there are blessings and obligations that we have as baptized believers in Christ. Don't get scared that you'll notice on your outline there are eight points. We will move through these rather quickly. Some will belabor just a little bit, but others will will hit and pass on. Point number one in our lesson, we need to remember as we consider after baptism, what then? Remember, you are saved from your past sin. Scripture reference there on the screen is Acts 2.38, a very familiar passage to everyone, I'm sure. The recording of the first gospel sermon, Peter's sermon is recorded there when they're assembled there at Pentecost in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. Peter tells them about this Christ 
reminds them of many of the Old Testament prophecies they were already familiar with or should have been familiar with. This is the man that God sent, I'm paraphrasing, that you have by lawless hands taken and crucified. When they heard that, the scripture tells us they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter then gives that statement that we remember and we teach and we believe there recorded in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. If you're baptized, a believer, you have your sins remitted. Another passage that goes along with that is Acts chapter 3, verse number 19, maybe a little bit uh, less familiar than Acts 2.38, but if you have your New Testaments, I would invite, invite you to look at some of these scripture texts as we go through. There's going to be a lot of scripture. I don't make any uh, apology for that because I believe that we need to use scripture to back up our points and, and teach that as we go forward. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. There, the, the, the apostles teaching the gospel there, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted or changed, that your sins may be blotted out. Sins may be blotted out. Acts 22, verse 16, and again, a familiar passage. Paul there recounting his conversion. He re, he re, it's recorded here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the pen of Luke. What um, was told to Paul? Why are you waiting? Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 1 Peter 3, verse number 21. I hope these are all passages you've committed to memory because they are also vitally important as we have opportunity to discuss these things with our friends. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Peter there says, there's also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, parenthetically, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. When we learn and we have knowledge, we have maturity enough of mind to realize that we have sinned and that that sin has separated us from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. The right-thinking person, I believe, wants to remedy that situation. What do we want when we realize that we have sinned? We want a clean conscience toward God. How do we get that? The passage we just cited there from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 tells us it's through baptism. Point number two in our lesson, we need to remember that we are a new creature. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here the inspired writer uh, Paul is talking to Christians in Corinth. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, 
all things have become new. And he goes on there to talk about how through the blood of Christ we've been reconciled or made friends again with God. Another passage that I thought of concerning this particular point, Romans chapter 6. There, <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7, this is kind of in the middle of a, a paragraph. It says, do, not, do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We are a new creature. We have a new name, Christian. We have a new family, the church. We need to remember that we are a new creature. Point number three in our lesson this morning. You need to remember that you are a babe in Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As you're turning there, <clears throat> you know, we recognize, I think, as humans that babies can't fend for themselves. They need nurturing to assure proper growth. They need a mature person to provide for them. The new Christian is no different in this perspective. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter 2, verse 2. Peter there says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's the word of God that helps us to grow. It's the word of God that helps us in our Christian walk to know how to live, how to act, and all those kind of things. It's the word of God, I would submit, for our thinking that helps us build our faith in God, helps us have the faith that we need when obstacles come, when temptations come along and all those kind of things. Care must be exercised to ensure that the new Christian doesn't fall because of their, because fall back in their past, things that would draw them back into the world. That leads us really to point number four, ties in well with point number four. This is a critical period in your life. Scripture reference there is Matthew 4, verse 11. If you remember how Matthew 4 starts out, Jesus has just been baptized there in the Jordan River by the John the baptizer. Immediately, Scripture says, Satan comes to him, trying to tempt him trying to draw him away, trying to get him to change his focus off the mission that he is here to fulfill. It's a critical period in the life of a person when they are baptized. You know, I was thinking Jesus here was immediately tempted 
do we think we would be any different as we become new Christians? You know, what is, what is being, becoming a new Christian saying to the world, saying to Satan, I've just declared war on you because I've just changed my allegiance. I'm no longer aligned to you, devil. I'm now following Christ and trying to live for him. Satan, in a way, doubles down on us, doesn't he? Because he knows that we are an enemy of his at that point in time. There's an old adage that says in the, in the world of addictive recovery, you have to change your playmates. You have to change your playground and your playthings. When you become a Christian, you've got maybe some things that you engaged yourself in prior that you've got to give up. Maybe some places that you have frequented that you have to stop. There may be some friends, some people that you have to stop associating with. That's all difficult, isn't it? Change is always hard. But yet, it's what God has prescribed, and that's what will be best for us. So it's a critical period in your, in your life. Point number five, it is possible for you to fall. Contrary to popular religious belief from today, many uh, denominations teach that once you are saved, you're, you can't fall from that. The Bible would teach otherwise. A couple of passages that I want to show that to you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. Again, John writing to Christians. <coughs> saved people. written down a, the reference incorrectly. Let's move to the next point there, the next scripture reference, Acts 8. Acts 8, verse 17, beginning. We won't take the time to re read this entire account, but the in the context here, this man named Simon the sorcerer, Hears the word of God, becomes a Christian. There's no doubt that he is a Christian, having done the things that is prescribed in God's word for one to be added to the body of Christ. But he sees the apostles laying hands on folks, and he wants that gift as well. And you remember from our past study that he tries to buy that gift. And you remember what Peter says. Verse 20, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor uh, lot in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Verse 22, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So we see here a Christian, Simon, did something that he did that was identified as a sin and that he would be 
subject to the judgment of God if he didn't take care of that. There are other places where we see where individuals, Christians, can fall away. And we need to be mindful of that. It's possible for a Christian to fall. Point number six, remember that you are a representative of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 2. You are a representative of Christ. What does it mean to be a representative of someone? It means that you follow their lead, you follow their teaching, you try to promote what they would have you promote, and all those kind of things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse number two, you are our epistle or letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Paul there writing to Christians there in the city of Corinth. What's he saying? He's admonishing them, reminding them that they are representatives. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul there writing to the young preacher, Timothy, Let no one despise or think down on your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You know, there's a lesson for us there that we could spend half an hour just talking about and breaking down that, that particular verse things that we are to engage ourselves in, the example that we are. It, you may be the only Bible that many people ever read. As Brian reminded us last week, we need to be admonished to preach the gospel and sometimes use words. You know, we are a walking epistle, so to speak, in this world that which, in which we live in. You may say, well, I don't want to be that. I don't want people watching me and those sorts of things. Well, they are. And if they know you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, they're going to be more, you're going to be, they're going to be more aware of your activities and your actions. So we need to be, we need to remember that. We are a representative of Christ. Point number seven. You are to love Christ first. In the Sermon on the Mount recorded there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus, in Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we as Christians are to be about, whether it's been two hours since you've been baptized or 40 years. Matthew 10 and verse 37, Jesus was talking to his disciples there, about uh, he's going to send them out what we call the limited commission I believe is the is the context of this particular passage and he talks to them about priorities and things like that verse 37 of Matthew 10 he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me we have to realize that 
when we become Christians, it helps us define our allegiances. And it also helps us with our priorities and those sorts of things. And I, I've said it this way before, it answers a lot of questions for us that we have uh, about where we should go and who we should associate with and all those kind of things. A lot of those questions are resolved, or they're not even questions, really, where we're going to be on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, other places, and other times. Point number eight in our lesson this morning, after we're supposed to love Christ first, we have an obligation to help save others. Very familiar passage. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. You know, our, uh, Joe and I share a, a, a love for Brother John Shannon Sr. Preaches the gospel over at the James Road Congregation in Memphis, Tennessee. And he says, at just about the close of every one of his sermons, talking to Christians, he says, you've got to behave as a Christian, and you've got to broadcast. What he means by broadcasting is preaching the gospel, trying to help others become saved. I'll be the first to admit it's not easy. Many people, unfortunately, don't believe that they're lost. And I'm afraid too many of us are buying into that thought as well. But if you apply Scripture and look what it says, there is a world of lost. Jesus would say, look out over the fields because they're white unto harvest. We have to help save others. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus here, shortly before he left this world. Let's back up to verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is giving a, a formula here for us to even follow some 2,000 years removed. Go, teach, baptize, and teach. If we make application of that, that pattern, that formula in our lives today, we will be successful in reaching the lost. But it takes us to be resolved to do that. John chapter 15, let's look at that passage in the context of helping others to be saved. John chapter 15, Jesus there says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. 
Jesus is talking here about a, he's painting us an earthly picture that has a spiritual connotation. He's telling us that he expects us to, quote unquote, bear fruit. That means we live as a Christian, we show others what it means to be a Christian, and we teach others by our actions and by our words. We have an obligation to help save others. As we bring this lesson to a close, I hope it's been good for you to be, be reminded of some of these benefits and blessings that we have as Christians, old or new. We can learn from these things. I would leave you with this passage, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That means grow. That doesn't mean you get to a point where you say, well, I'm fully grown. It means we continue studying God's Word. We continue associating with God's people. We continue all those things that God has, has blessed us with. Becoming a Christian is the greatest decision, best decision, anyone can ever make. The blessings it affords in this life and the promise of eternal life in heaven pale in comparison to anything that the world can offer today. Every time we gather in public fashion like this, we recognize that there could be someone in our audience that hasn't become a Christian, be doing those things that the Scripture pres prescribes for them to do. Hear the Word of God. Believe. Repent of your sins. That means to change. Does it mean you'll stop sinning altogether? No. We know we can't do that. That's why the blood of Christ continues to flow from Calvary, cleansing us of our sins when we're willing to confess those things and repent again. One of the old preachers I remember said, we get out of the sinning business. We strive to get to not sin as Christians because we understand the importance of what we've been given through Christ. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away sin. Could be in times past you've done those things, but you've allowed sin to creep back in and take hold in your life, and it has separated you from God. If it's of a public nature, it needs to be taken care of that way. If it's private, pray God to help you and that he will forgive your sins and that you will uh, be cleansed once again. If you need anything from this congregation, our prayers, if you need to become a Christian or be restored, now's the opportunity as we stand and as we sing.